0: It is great to be here with you. We are continuing in our study of the book of James. We're calling it Faith Works Volume 2. And uh, James is taking us an interesting journey this morning as we turn the corner uh, toward the last chapter of the book. So we're looking at the last chapter, uh, chapter four, then the last chapter as we head into chapter five. We have two more messages, but he takes us on this journey as we head around the corner here. Uh, in the book of James, his writing, uh, where he's been writing about really two themes that have been intertwined throughout the book. This this idea of living wisely, and of course we get wisdom from the Lord as we ask, but we ask with the understanding that we'll obey. And and I've shared many times during this series that I think at least I have found myself in the place um, where I've asked God for wisdom in a way of saying, well, sort of give me what you want me to do, God, and I'll consider whether I want to do it or not. And, and James makes it very clear, no, if you want to ask and receive wisdom, you need to ask with the, the humble heart that says, Lord, you, you give me the wisdom and I'll walk in it. And then he talks about humility. And so the last two weeks, last week we looked at living humbly before the Lord and others. And, and, and what that meant was we submit ourselves to God and we respect other people. And also, what does it mean to really live wisely? And so he's going to, this morning, take us on this journey of really three traps we want to avoid. Three traps we want to avoid in life uh, on this journey of living wisely, in this journey of living humbly um, before God. And of course, the whole book of James is about what does it mean to walk as a Christian. And that's why I love the book of James, because it's good for anybody. If you're here this morning, whether on the campus or online, and you're sort of investigating the things of Christ, my guess is if you're investigating the things of Christ, one of the questions you're asking is, what does it look like to be a Christian? Well, James talks about that. If you've been a Christian for many years, nothing wrong for refresher. Amen, church. Amen. To say, what is it? What am I what's my direction supposed to be? What are my steps supposed to take look like? And, and anything in between. And so we're going to jump right in this morning and look at these three warnings of traps that can keep us from walking humbly and, and walking in God's wisdom. And the first one is defamation. We're going to look at James 4, 11 and 12. And listen to what James writes. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks about a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? And so James is speaking of sort of the arrogance of denigrating others and he starts out really simple by saying, do not speak evil against another. And that, that, that whole phrase, do not speak evil against another, could easily be just sort of boiled down to two words, and that's to don't defame anyone or don't denigrate anyone. And, and defamation is the act of communicating statements about a person that injure that person's reputation. Now, what's really interesting is you can be speaking the truth and still defame somebody. Just just because because something is true doesn't mean we need to say it. Especially if our purpose in saying it is to destroy somebody, if it's to bring them down. And defamation is forbidden as a breach of loving humility. And and unfortunately, the reality is, is that one of the sort of the pitfalls of our of our old nature of of who we were before coming to Christ that sometimes is still in play when we take our eyes off the Lord is that we find ourselves wanting to build ourselves up by pulling other people down. You know? If we can just pull other people down, then we go, well, we look a little better than we thought we did. Or who does that person think they are succeeding? I try hard too. And if I can just pull them on down to my level, You know, then then I can feel better about myself. And of course, that's not the attitude that, that God wants us to take. When we look at others, we should be fans of one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. When other people succeed, we should be the first to applaud. Way to go. Worth it. God's working in your life. But when we take our eyes off Jesus, let's all be honest, we go, why wasn't that me? Don't I deserve that? I was thinking about this, and and if we're humble before God, we'll never have the altitude to look down on anyone. I want to say that again because I think that's so important. That if if we're humble before God, we'll never have the altitude to look down on anyone because we're we're humble. We're we're, we're submitting ourselves to the Lord. We're respecting other people, and we're seeing them for who they are, and that's brothers and sisters in Christ and, and neighbors. In fact, remember, who is James writing to? The church. He's writing to the church. He's writing to Christians. And so he's, he's asking them to sort of live out their job description of love. And so he, he says, remember, they're brothers and sisters, they're, they're, they're neighbors, and that you're all on the same playing field. In fact, there's this interesting. Uh, concept in scripture, because of the time in which it was written, that that isn't as true today as it was back then. But the firstborn in any family, especially the firstborn male, ha- had sort of this higher level in the child pecking order. Now, being the firstborn, I-, I like that. How many firstborns do we have out there? Yeah, amen. Isn't it great? But, uh, but, but. But, but in, the, in the time that he was writing this letter, the firstborn male had, had like authority. Like when dad went away, you were in charge. Now, I thought I was, but my mom would put me in my place really quick. And, 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 but in the day in which James is writing, that would have been true. And so you would have sort of the firstborn son than all the other kids. And so there's this concept in scripture, Paul really points it out in the book of Romans, where he says there's only one firstborn, and that's Christ. And everyone else, you're all on the same playing field. You're the other kids, right? <laughs> and so James is sort of playing on this and when he's talking about the fact that, look, your brothers and the sisters, your neighbors, you're on the same playing field. You're on equal level. And he says, so don't judge one another. Now, this is often taken out of context. It doesn't mean we don't call out sin in one another's life, because that wouldn't be a loving thing not to do, Right? Like if we love somebody in Christ and they're heading in the wrong direction and we go, well, it's not really my business. Really what you're saying is I don't really love them enough to be uncomfortable. Come on now, church. So, so James certainly isn't saying if you see someone heading the wrong direction in, in the church and, and you love them, you don't come alongside them and say, hey, look, I love you too much to so let you continue to do this thing. It's destructive for you. It's destructive for other people. There's a better way. He's talking about judging in the sense of being the judge, playing God. Anyone has ever played God in here, don't raise your hand. <laughs> you know, he's saying, don't play God. See, my task is not to, to, not to publicize the faults of others, it, it's, nor is it to privately berate them, but to go to them and speak the words of truth in life in loving humility, not, not, not to berate them before people, not to, to, to sort of be mean-spirited when I, when I come alongside them, but to, but to love them enough to speak the truth and let them see my heart, that I care about them as a brother and sister in Christ. And, and when we really think about this whole area of defamation, we have to admit it really begins in the mind, doesn't it? Like it begins to play here. Who do they think they are? Why are they doing that? Maybe it's jealousy. Lots of things happen here. And before we know it, what's in our mind comes out of our mouth, out of the way we act. James has already shared with us in chapter 2 what he calls the royal law. Do you remember what the royal law is? To love our neighbor. Jesus said what when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? "Love Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. He says the second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And James calls that the royal law. I love it. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. God's laws are an expression of who he is and and what he's calling us to. And so when we think about wanting to live this life of godly wisdom, walking in the wisdom that God gives us and walking in the humility of the Lord, the power that there is to submit ourselves to Christ then we don't want to get into this pitfall of defamation. And and we avoid the pitfall of defamation, uh, of defaming others by speaking, by seeking to walk into lowliness humility before God, knowing that the way down leads upward in our ability to know the Lord and make him known. Like many people think... That, that, that the, the way to prosper in this world is sort of puff ourselves up. And yet the scripture says, humble yourselves before the, the Lord. Because if you remember what I looked at last week from the book of James, it says, when you humble yourself, God stoops down and does what? Lifts us up. How many of you want to be lifted up by the Lord this morning? The pathway is humility. What well, is another warning that James throws at us? And that's presumptuousness. Look at James 4, 13 through 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now James, in his typical way, doesn't mince words. He just comes out and says it, doesn't he? And he's talking about this presumptuousness. He's saying, don't presume you have all the time in the world. He says, you know, you talk about today and tomorrow, and he says, you may not have any more today or tomorrow. He even calls us a mist Referring back to the writer of Ecclesiastes, he says, we're only here for a little while and yet we act like we can control things we can't control. And when James exposes this trap of presumptuousness, he reveals the the unrecognized claim of our hearts to really want to be Lord of our life, you know, and, and that we can actually plan our future and everything's going to happen the way we want it to be. How many of you live long enough to realize it doesn't really work that way? Like, we plan everything, right? And it's going to happen like this and like this and like this, you know? I often will laugh because my wife will chart out our family vacation a little bit. And I sit back and I go, we couldn't do all that if we wanted to in a day. It's impossible. So, how do you guard then against presumptuousness? And this is what James shares with us. He says, first of all, admit our ignorance, admit what we don't even know what's around the corner. Now, he's not speaking against planning. He's just saying, if you you want to live a less frustrated life, when you plan, realize you don't know what's coming around the corner. I think if we don't know that by now, as a people, in the world, by the way, we're never going to learn that lesson. Like, how many of you saw the shutdowns coming? Right? How many of you had vacation plans that didn't happen? Weddings, you know, all these things, and this is going to happen, and it's going to happen right here, and it's going to happen. No, it's not. You know, I love it now. People are like, I knew it was coming. I sort of saw it coming. I'm like, well, you were the only one, and no one was saying it ahead of time. So, wow, you were so brilliant. So brilliant. No one knew it. we got to admit our ignorance. And, and again, it's, it's not ignorance in a bad way. It's just simply saying that's why we go to the Lord for wisdom, because guess who does know what's coming around the corner? Guess who is never surprised? And so when we're humble before God and those surprises happen, and if you live long enough, they're going to happen, it's okay. It's in His hands. He says, Acknowledge our frailty. Acknowledge our frailty. He says in verse 14, He says, You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And, and I ought to be honest with you, that's pretty humbling. It's pretty humbling. You know, I had a doctor visit last week and he said, you're doing great. And I love hearing that at the doctors. I don't always hear that, but I love hearing that. How I many love hearing that? He said, you keep going, you're, you're going you're to outlive me. And I thought, well, you're older than me. What's that mean? I don't know. I, I mean, I was like, I, was like oh, I thought that was a given. I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't know what's going on here, but you know, it's sort of good to hear. But you know what? He doesn't know. I don't know. I have a friend who, I served on a church with, he was a vice chair, I was a lead pastor, and his wife, uh, now 25 years ago, was told uh, she she had six months to live. 25 years ago, she was told she had six months to live. And and she had many people who came and gave their condolences, by the way, who are dead now. (laughs) And she's still a prayer warrior, still walking around. Those doctors were sure she'd be gone. And God said, no, I don't think so. But by the way, some of the people who are giving condolences will be. You know, we just don't know. And am I here to depress you? I'm just simply say, if we put ourselves in God's hands, he's in control. He's in control. When I go, it's okay. I've told my family, I've lived a good life, and I'm going to a better place. I said, you know, you can be happy for me, but if no one cries at my funeral, I will be a little upset if I'm watching. <laughs> right? Isn't that the way it is? Like a little, little bit of, wow, we miss them. not, woo, this is great. <laughs> He's in heaven and he's gone, woo, you know? <laughs> but we're frail, we're frail. Except our dependence, we're dependence upon the Lord. The Lord's the one who, who, who directs our steps. Again, it's not against planning, it's the same. We plan things and we, we hold them lightly in our hands. The very existence of tomorrow in some ways is as much a part of our dependence on God as it is our, our life itself and our abilities. Therefore we say, God, it, your will be done. Hey, you're gonna be there tomorrow, Lord willing. Such and such, Lord willing. And then he talks about the sin of omission. It's interesting. He ties it in here. He says, so whatever you know is the right thing to do, do it. And if you don't do it, it's sin. I think it's interesting. I think the reason he says that is because we do these long-term planning, and he goes, you know what you need to do right now. Do that. Stop worrying about 10 years down the road and worry about 10 minutes. You know, Just do that thing. If you keep doing the right thing after the right thing after the right thing, you'll probably be in the right place after the right place after the right place with God. Amen, church? So to avoid the pitfall of being presumptuous, presumptuousness, it's easy for me to say, by seeking to walk, how? Well, the lowliest humility before God, knowing he's in control and can be trusted. The last thing he talks about is covetousness. Look at James 5, 1, through 6. Come now, you rich, and weep and howl For the miseries that are coming upon you. Again, no mincing words here. You've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person, and he does not resist. First of all, ouch! Ouch! I mean, he just lays it out there. And it seems like he's negative rich people, but he's not. We have to understand, what, what, is, what is the way that James has been writing throughout the whole book? He uses very strong language to make a point of something that's very important. He's not speaking against the rich. What we're going to read this and say, well, man, if he's speaking to the wealthy like that, then we all better watch ourselves. That's what he wants us to understand. We all better watch ourselves. We all better watch the way that we deal with the things that God has given us. And so he talks about three pits of this covetness. And the first pit is this hoarding. He says, some of you are hoarding things. And, and he talks about clothes. And by the way, he's not talking against having winter clothes and spring clothes and summer clothes and fall clothes. We do live in New York. <laughs> he, he's not talking about that. And he's not talking about putting them away for the next season and, you know, clearing out the clock. What he's talking about is having so many pairs of clothes you just never wear them. That's what he's saying, he's like, you've got so many clothes. My college roommate is like, he has so many pairs of shoes. I'm like, you know, he, he went and looked at a house, and, and the guy said, your wife will love this because of the shoe racks. And his wife said, what are you kidding me? Ken's going to use those. You should see all the shoes he has. But he wears his shoes. Like, he wears his shoes. He's got these beautiful, he wears them. But can you imagine if he had these shoes and never put them on? These are my special shoes. Oh, when do you wear them? I don't wear them, they're too special. You know, it's like, what are you doing? He's like, don't don't hoard. Don't hoard. He's talking about wealth. He's saying you don't you don't do any good with it. It's like just like being stored up and and in that day, like a golden so it's like it's like all corroded. You know, when you die, you, you can't take any of that with you. It's not doing anyone any good. I was joking the other day when I was taking down my Christmas tree. My wife has her Christmas tree, then I have mine. Mine has all the all the cool ornaments on it. Hers is all color coordinated and whatever. And um <laughs> And as we were putting mine away, I thought, you know, someday my kids are going to go, oh, here's all of Dad's ornaments. You think we can get a buck out of them? (laughs) You know, and that's okay. That's okay. But I don't want to hoard things, you know what I'm saying? Actually, sort of I do with those things because I figure when I go, they need to deal with that, right? That's a good thing. You know, here's all this stuff. Deal with it. Sort of something you pass on. But you get what he's saying. He said, avoid the pit of fraudulence. And he's talking about those who people think, oh man, I've taken advantage of these people. And he's saying, you know what? Their cries have reached the ears of God. Like you might think you've gotten away with it, but you haven't. Pay what you owe. Be a person of honor. He says, avoid the the pit of indulgence, the first one. He's not talking against pleasure. He's not talking about against taking vacation. Actually, the wording he's using here, he's saying, from pleasure to vice. When it's, when it's all about you. In fact, what, what happens is, he says some of these individuals within the church have actually taken advantage of those who don't have the position they have, and they've actually used the law. Like they've taken them to court, but they've, they've distorted the law, so these people have no recourse. And, and he says, you probably think you're getting away with it. But the judge, remember he says, you're not the judge? Well, guess what, there is one. He says he'll either judge you now or he will judge you later, but you will be judged. And what is he hoping? He's hoping that all these people will repent, will humble themselves before God. He's not saying it to be mean, but because James loves them, what does he do? He speaks the truth in love, in a rough way, (laughs) because he wants to wake them up. He's saying, this is serious business. You don't treat a brother and sister in Christ like that. You're the church. And you remember when Jesus prayed over the church, he's praying over the disciples. It's the high priestly prayer, and he's praying over them, and he's praying over us. He says, I'm not just praying for them, but those who will come after them. Guess who that is? That's us. He says, As he's praying over them, he says, Lord God, but the Father God, he says, they will know why I came, meaning the world, people outside these walls, they'll know why I came by their love for one another. That the reputation of the Christian community should be so profoundly enriched by love that the world around us goes, oh, that's why Jesus came. To transform us, to give us hope, to welcome us into a new family. So that's why James uses such strong language. He's saying, wake up, stop treating each other like this. Walk wisely, walk, walk humbly in the Lord. And, and, and to avoid the pitfall of, of covetousness, by, we do that by seeking to walk in the lowliest humility with God. The lowliest humility with God. Last week, I talked about this word submit, and the one that James particularly uses, this word submit, earlier in chapter 4. He's talking about submit, and he says, it's like taking yourself from your banner and placing yourself under God's banner. Remember, it was a warfare word. He said, you have the ability to fight your own war. He said, but there's something powerful when you say, you know what? But I'm going to humble myself and place myself under God's banner. See, when I'm under my banner and you mess with me, you're only messing with me. When I place myself under God's banner and you mess with me, guess who else you're messing with? Come on now. Does that know what James said? The people you're messing with are not under their own banner. They're under God's banner and God sees it. How many of you think when this letter was read to those people, they went, uh-oh. Hey, go get some money and pay so-and-so. Let's make this right. We place ourselves under the banner of God. And the interesting thing James over and over says to us, when we humble ourselves before God, he lifts us up. When we humble ourselves before God, he gives us wisdom. When we humble ourselves before God, he gives us a peace that only he can give. I came across this interesting study this week. I debated whether to share it with you, but the picture that was with the study was just too much for me not to share. So they're gonna put a picture up there, I believe, up on the screen, yes. The picture alone. And just keep it up there, just keep it up there. The picture alone is worth a thousand words. And and so I came across this study that that dog experts were wondering if when a a dog knows that their belly's getting ready to be rubbed, do they roll over because they like the belly rubbing or for something else? Fascinating, I thought. Now all you were looking at me like, who cares? fascinating I thought and so I read on with the study and what they found was that the dogs actually roll over out of submission like that's why they do it like the person reaches down so if your dog doesn't roll over they're not submitting to you they're running your home (laughs) but if they roll over they're submitting to you and and they submit and guess what so then they said but do they enjoy having their belly rubbed guess what they do And I thought, isn't that fascinating? Like, it would be hard to rub a dog's belly, especially that one, without it rolling over. So the dog submits itself, and guess what it gets out of it? It's belly rubbed. Enjoyment. (laughs) Pleasure. And I was thinking about this. Now, this is why I wasn't sure I was going to share it with you, because I'm going to compare us to dogs But I was looking at someone and said, it's all good. (laughs) But think about it. Is that not sort of what James is saying? No, he's not telling us to like roll over to get our belly rubbed. But he he says what? It's good stuff. He says, submit yourself to God and just see what he's going to do in your life. Like Don't roll over to get the good stuff. Roll over because God's worthy of our lives. Do you get that? Like sometimes we sort of do things and go, now you're going to do something good, God? And God? God actually says really clear in Scripture, no, you got what you wanted, which was recognition. Woo, way to go. <laughs> but when we live the Christian life because we love the Lord, guess what happens? Amazing things. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe James, if he was here, would say with that picture, just roll over in submission and see what God's going to do in your life today just roll over. Trust him. Stop fighting under your own banner and submit yourself and place yourself under God's. And just see if the God of the universe won't be true to his word and stoop down and exalt you. I don't know where you're at this morning. If you've yet to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what a perfect time, whether on this campus or online, to say yes to Jesus. And if you've been walking with him, maybe maybe the Lord's just calling you to take one other step, whatever that step is, won't you trust him? Come on, roll over. (laughs) See what God is going to do in your life, in your marriage, in your family, at your workplace, at your school. Just see if he won't change the world through us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you so much for inspiring James to write this amazing letter. When he wrote it, he wrote it to a specific group of of believers, and yet when he wrote it, as you inspired him, you knew that nearly 2,000 years later, we'd be exploring this great book, your words through James to us, that are just as applicable today as they were when he penned them. And I pray wherever we find ourselves, wherever we find ourselves this morning, that, that Lord, we would, uh, we'd roll over, <laughs> we'd submit ourselves to you, that we would declare you're in charge, we're not. And we would just say what you want to do in and through our lives. Lord, we understand that that starts with receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And if anyone's yet to do that, even now, may they just say yes to you. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for our sins, being resurrected for our salvation, for placing your very spirit within us, that the very power of God, the very spirit of God reigns in us. And as we submit to you, Lord God, you do a work through us that, that brings abundance that, that we could never dare ask for. Not necessarily in the way that the, the world values those things, but in the way that That we find our spirit longs for them. Your peace, your strength. Lord God, wherever we find ourselves this morning, when we just place ourselves under your banner, humbling ourselves before you, that you would exalt us. In all of that, for your glory. And as you bless us, would you use us to be a blessing to others? And as you've blessed us, gathering us, coming together, Lord God, would you bless our scattering? Would what you do in us make a difference in the places where we live, where we work, where we go to school and play? In all of this, Lord God, for your, for your glory and out of the love that Christ has for us. Amen.